Hey, deserving listeners, I have been wanting to analyze Dr. Melfi on The Sopranos for a very long time, years, you know, ever since the TV show came out. I've been a therapist for over 20 years, and the TV show came out while I was a therapist. So I've had thoughts about Dr. Melfi's work as a therapist on The Sopranos for a long time, and I finally have the time to do it. I have the cameras, I have the lights, I have the technology. So let's watch clips. And as soon as I have a reaction, I'm going to stop the TV show and I'm going to spout whatever comes to mind. So let's get to it. Let's watch some clips. Mr. Soprano? So right off the bat, I have a reaction. It's uh, always a decision as a therapist. How do you decorate your office? The things you put in your office say something about you. The art, the plants, the books, um, the the clothes you wear, the hairstyle, the jewelry, everything says something about who you are. And also, there's a fair amount of people who I believe overemphasize as clients what's in a therapy office. In my experience, most therapists, they don't think that much about it. Um, I feel like some people think like, oh, I think that therapist has put that statue in the uh, waiting room as a way to try to give people something to think about or to uh, express some, you know, repressed sexuality or something. Certainly, I imagine some therapists do that. Um, The thing I also say is at the outset of this is Uh, This is written by people trying to write for an East Coast experience and particularly a New York, New Jersey experience of what psychotherapy is and what psychoanalysis is. I'm chiming in. Let's continue watching. So again, right off the bat, more stuff to chime in. I'm, you know, it's going to take me ten years to get through even this first episode. Uh, a lot of therapists will do this. They will have multiple seats, and they don't want to give the impression. Uh, for you know, some therapists are like, um, you can sit anywhere you want, and I, as the therapist, will sit um, across from you, so you can sit in this chair or that chair. Anecdotally, in my experience, most therapists actually prefer to sit in a particular chair. I, for example, in my office. Don't allow clients to sit in my chair. I like my chair. It's comfortable. Um, In fact, it's the chair I'm sitting in right now. I just move this chair from here over there and I see my clients in another section. But anyway, um, this chair is one of the only chairs that really sustains uh, my life sitting hour after hour. And if I were to sit in my other chair, it wouldn't work for me. So, you know, Dr. Melfi is doing something that's uh, common to some, I think, but uh, not necessarily for everyone. All right, let's continue here. So again, right off the bat, again, this is going to take me forever to get through. Um, you know, there's there's two 
frames of mind as therapist goes. One is is that you and particularly in particular strains of psychoanalysis, there's this tradition or thought or philosophy that with clients you uh, try as a therapist to be as blank screen as possible and you create a space for the client to explore unhindered by your own agenda or your own efforts to soothe the uh, discomfort of a client, that uh, therapy should be uncomfortable at times and it actually will provoke material that will um, emerge from the unconscious that will be helpful to metabolize in therapy. Um, most therapists are not this way. Most, ther- uh, most therapists won't act like Dr. Melfi. Right from the start, you want to have a conversation about what therapy is. What do they want out of therapy? Do they understand confidentiality? Do they want to look over the paperwork again? You know, sign all this stuff. Uh, I've never had a client like th- I've been a I've been in practice over twenty years. As I said, I've never just sat down in complete silence and just stared at a client. Um, that's putting a lot of pressure on a client. Uh, you're guaranteed to lose a lot of clients that way. They're just going to sit down and be like, so are you going to talk? Like are you just going to stare at me the whole time? Like most people need a little bit of bedside manner. Um, again, I understand why some people do this. It does have its wisdom, but um, particularly in the first session and particularly in the first minutes. But the other thing is, is and I know I've rewatched this a whole season, so I know I, there's going to be certain things that I'm, I'm going to rail about. The first thing is, is what is the goal of therapy is very important. Now, for some people, these goals can be very clear, like I want to quit smoking or I want to improve my marriage or I want to, um, you know, stop, um, I don't know, getting angry at work or something. So these can be very discrete goals. But you can also have very amorphous goals like I want to improve my self-esteem. I want better relationships in general. I want to process my past. I want to um, recover from a string of losses and I'm experiencing a lot of grief and I feel like I need to talk with someone about it. It's Those are all goals too. There's some purpose. There's some agreement between client and clinician as to why they are there. Now, the conversation can diverge into all areas that and some areas don't necessarily have to um, be, you know, concretely related to that goal. But it, there's a reason why the person is there. Uh, Tony Soprano sits down, and as far as I know, they haven't had a conversation. Maybe they have had a little bit of, you know, he he came in because he had panic attacks, right, or he had a panic attack, and. There should be some conversation right from the beginning. Is like, so you're here to talk about panic attacks, right? Yes. Okay. Well, here's what therapy can do to to help you with that. Um, and and this throughout the entire uh, you know six seasons of six seasons of this show, not once do they talk about goals. Now, the other thing I'll say is that this is a fictional depiction, and this is a depiction that is not meant to please therapists. Uh, it's a it's it's a it's a depiction that's supposed to be interesting to the audience in terms of the overall story of Tony Soprano and everybody else. So I understand it's not trying to be accurate. It's not trying to be a, a um, you know, manual for therapists on how to do therapy. But I will point out that whenever I was watching The Sopranos I, in these sessions, which are hard for me to get through a lot of times, I'm like, why are they there? <laughs> what is the purpose? Particularly later on in the first season, the first few sessions, it's definitely about panic, right? 
But as time goes on, it's it's completely unknown to me watching these sessions why Tony is going, and we'll get into that more later. So you know, right from the bat, Melfi, in my opinion, should be saying something like, "So I heard you're here to work on Panic. Is that true?" Um, and then have a conversation about that. And again, what can therapy provide? Um, what sort of medications might be applied? These kinds of things. How long does therapy take? This is not just, I think, a way to do therapy, but I think it's ethical. I mean, clients, they have no idea what they're getting into, especially someone like Tony Soprano, who's never been to therapy before, right? So he he deserves as a patient to understand, you know, what this is. And there's a lot of myths out there. You know, you can't just depend on human beings and lay people to understand what therapy is all about. And so I think we have an ethical responsibility to point that out. Dr. Melfi doesn't do that. I'll let them off the hook a little bit because, you know, they're trying to create drama here. Let's go on. We're only three seconds into the session. I'm already talking forever. So let's watch a little bit more. My understanding from Dr. Cusimano, your family physician, is that you collapsed, possibly a panic attack. You were unable to breathe. They said it was a panic attack because all the uh, blood work and the neurological work came back negative. Okay. So Melfi eventually got to it. There was just a few seconds of silence. I, t- I retract everything I just said. <laughs> I jumped the gun. She did start with that. That's great. Okay. A point for Dr. Melfi, minus one point for Kirk. Nay sent me here. You don't agree that you had a panic attack? <sighs> How are you feeling now? Good. Fine. Back at work. What line of work are you in? Waste management consultant. Okay, so right away, um, what I would do as a therapist, and I don't, this is just a style. So I'm going to point out things that I think are bad that Dr. Melfi are doing and things that are good. And then I'm also going to point out differences between my style and her style. So this is just a style difference. As soon as I got what he just said, he's like, well, I don't know. Other people are saying I have this problem with panic. Um, So I don't really know why I'm here, kind of that attitude. Me, personally, right away, I would say, oh, well, do you want to be here? Because, you know, therapy should be voluntary. And do you want to talk about maybe what therapy could do for you? Because for me, at my stage of career, I I abhor, I hate working with clients who don't want to be in session with me. It almost never happens in my late, my mid-career right now. But in my earlier career, it happened all the time. I would get court-ordered people and I wouldn't know they were court-ordered or they were highly suggested by their workplace or their spouse that they go to therapy and they, they end up in my office. I have no idea that they were basically coerced and forced into therapy with me. I sit down with them and we have a conversation like this and I right away I pick up on this ambivalence about being in therapy or even disdain for being in therapy. And so right, so in the early career, I would deal with this more and it, it got so aggravating to me because – uh, I, therapy cannot be done to someone who doesn't want therapy, <laughs> you know, it's or it's extremely difficult and potentially unethical, right, um, f- for a therapist to proceed with someone who doesn't want to be there. Most people come voluntarily, but many people don't. And so right away, I would want to know from Tony Soprano, do you want to be here? Because if he indicated that he didn't, then I would say, well, let's adjourn because – uh, I don't want to waste your time. Frankly, I don't want to waste my time. I won't charge you for this session. I recommend you go back to the people that are recommending you go to therapy and really ask them why and when and if you do want to come to therapy, then feel free to call me and see if I have any openings. 
um, it's extremely frustrating, and you clinicians know this, to, to work with a client who does not want to talk with you. Um, it's it's very against our nature as therapists to be imposing our service on someone. The analogy I always give to my trainees, because I'm a professor as well, is imagine if dentists walked around on the sidewalk and just grabbed people and started you know drilling into cavities or something without their consent. That's on the par with what we are asked to do sometimes with clients who actually don't want to be in therapy with us. There are some exceptions, which I won't get into. You have a 13-year-old who is being forced into therapy and, and never really wants to be there. And sometimes you, know, you can work with that. Uh, but definitely with an adult, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Okay, so let's continue watching. Look, it's impossible for me to talk to a psychiatrist. Any thoughts at all on why you blacked out? I don't know. Stress, maybe. So Melfi at this point is taking a decision, which is which is fine. Um, not necessarily what I would do, but but a style difference and fine. And she's like, well, okay, he's giving me all these overt messages. He doesn't want to be in therapy, but maybe if I make him comfortable, he'll warm up to therapy and realize that it's not as scary or horrible as he has a preconceived notion about what it is. I don't know. The morning of the day I got sick, I've been thinking. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. I came too late for that. I know. But lately I'm getting the feeling that I came in at the end. The best is over. Many Americans, I think, feel that way. I think about my father. He never reached the heights like me. Okay. So... This will be another thing that I will frequently say about Melfi's style is I think she's attempting to empathize with him. I think she's attempting to validate him in this moment. He He's like, ah, you know, things – I feel disconnected or some kind of feeling about him in interaction with society or his occupation or something. It's different than the old days or something. And Melfi says, I think in an effort to validate, which is a good impulse because especially in the first bit of therapy, you need to build that relationship. You need to make people feel like you understand by actually understanding them, by not just acting like you understand, but actually understanding them and conveying that understanding to them. And so she says, um, "Many, I think many Americans feel that way today. I think that's an attempt at empathy, which if received as empathy is is fine. But there's so many better things one could say as a therapist to truly validate, like, um, I don't know, tell me more or something because he just gets into his story and right away she acts like she understands what he's talking about, which is not likely. So at this stage, if you're a therapist out there, you know this. is It's better to listen a little longer before sort of jumping in. The other thing is, is the validation is kind of weird. It's like many Americans feel this way today. It's like um, – so I'm just like everyone else, you know. I'm. I, what about how I? You know, what about my particular circumstances? Again, it's nitpicking. Maybe Tony Soprano received it well. I don't know, but it's just my reaction. There's just there's there's going to be a lot of things about Melfi's style that bothers me. I don't think that was wrong. It's just a style difference. He never reached the heights like me, but in a lot of ways he had it better. He had his people. They had their standards. They had pride. Today, what do we got? 
Did you have these feelings of loss more acutely in the hours before you collapsed? Okay, this is another thing that bothers me about Melfi's style, and I think it's actually David Chase, the creator of and the writer for most of the episodes, if not all, uh, style of writing for Melfi is, and the way that Chase c- conceives of all of his characters. I th- everyone in the show is essentially being made fun of in a, I think, a good way. Um, he makes fun of the mob people. He makes fun of the rich people. He makes fun of the um, therapists. He makes fun of you know. He makes fun of everybody in some way, uh, most of the groups anyway. And he likes making fun of uh, Melfi because he, you know she's a, an elitist, um, very educated, rich, uh, that kind of person. So he's sort of making fun of her. And one of the ways he makes fun of her, I think, is by giving her lines that are very um, hard for Tony to relate to. And so we see this in Melfi's uh, choice of words, you know, acutely. Like most people don't use that word in every – you know, if you're talking with another clinician, feel free to use the word acute. But when you're talking to a client, particularly someone like Tony Soprano who looks like kind of, you know, not the sort of person who would use that sort of word, um, you know, I don't recommend using that word. There's other words like um, – you know, did you feel the panic coming on really quickly? Or you know, there's other kinds of phrases. And right away, I think we see uh, Tony Soprano kind of like, I don't like the way she's putting that. Which again, it's not a wrong thing to do. It's just I think a bad stylistic choice for Melfi. Did you have these feelings of loss more acutely in the hours before you collapsed? I don't know. So I'm going to skip forward because there's a lot of exposition here. So let's just skip forward. We saw this guy, and there was this issue of an outstanding loan. Can I stop you for a second? I don't know where this story is going. But there are a few ethical ground rules we should quickly get out of the way. So I actually really uh, appreciate what Dr. Melfi is doing here. And I actually do this, and I recommend a lot of my trainees do it as well. And uh, in my anecdotal experience, therapists don't do this enough. As therapists, as you know, psychiatrists, psychiatric nurses, social workers, marriage and family therapists, psychologists, counselors, we have uh, laws and ethics that guide us on what we can keep confidential, what we can keep confidential, and what we um, should not, and what we cannot. And there's a lot of debate around that. I won't go into the details, but. It doesn't um, fit with a lot of social understanding. Most people don't understand our arcane laws. In fact, most therapists don't understand our arcane laws and ethics to the point where at a lot of times when we run into situations that are um, dilemmas, it's best if we actually consult with a lawyer who really understands. So most therapists themselves can't really make that with some details. With most with others, they, they absolutely can. Like child abuse, when you hear about that, we're mandated reporters. So – uh, but there are things like this, like where a um, mobster comes into therapy and is about to talk about a crime that he committed. And Dr. Melfi picks up on that and uh, wisely stops him and says, OK, he hasn't told me anything yet, but I need to remind him about what my responsibilities are. And this is very important. And again, a lot of therapists don't do this. The reason is, is it's respectful to a client. Um, to let them know what your 
responsibilities are so that they can make a choice as to what they tell you and what they don't. Uh, if you don't do that, which a lot of therapists don't, and I didn't do it that much in the beginning of my career either, is you run the risk, uh, which is very common, especially early career because we tend to get a lot of clients who have these kinds of disclosures early career, is the client will tell us something and then we are now mandated to report it to someone. And then we make that mandated report and the client says, I never knew that you had to mandate you, – that you were mandated to report that. Even though they read it in all of our paperwork, but you know our paperwork is pages and pages. There's a lot of small print. They might not have really read it that uh, closely. And even if they did, they might have forgotten it by the time they're telling you the story. So I always recommend people like, well, just to remind you before moving forward, understand that if you tell me X, Y, or Z, I, I might have to report that to other people. Um, as If I was a client in a situation like that, I would want someone to tell me that. I would not want them to um, figure I had remembered the rules on that. So I really appreciate Melfi doing this in this moment. I will say that this is a brilliant way to have a pilot is to uh, have the main protagonist, Joe, Tony Soprano, telling a therapist about his life. And so you can have all these flashbacks, giving all this exposition about his world, what he's concerned about. It's sort of like a voiceover, but instead of a voiceover, he's in therapy. I think it's a brilliant um, you know, thing, uh, technique to use in writing that I'm guessing a lot of people have maybe copied and maybe David Chase even copied it from someone, but certainly not in mob movies before, right? Yes. But this shit I'm telling you, it'll all blow over. Didn't you admit to Dr. Cusimano that you were feeling depressed? Melfi. What part of the boot you from, hon? Dr. Melfi. My father's people were from Caserta. Avellino. My mother would have loved it if you and I got together. So right there, uh, Dr. Melfi, she uh, sees that the client, Tony Soprano, seems to be maybe avoiding his suffering and intuits that it might be good to um, confront him a little bit by saying, uh, well, actually, I heard from this other colleague that you might be a little depressed. She's hoping that this will help him to open up, to talk about his feelings. Um, this is quite a uh, move to make in the first you know, 10, 15 minutes of the first session. Um, and it backfires on her in a sense. I mean one could say that this is um, an opportunity for assessment for Dr. Melfi. Um, by the way, the uh, – you know, he says Melfi and he's referring to her surname uh, and she says Dr. Melfi. Um, again, she's free to do that uh, stylistically. I would not and have never done that. Um, it's sort of a weird – uh, vibe and message to give people. It's like, I'm a doctor and you're below me and you know, I, I don't tend to operate that way in any con – or I hope I don't in any context of my life. But anyway, again, style thing, something wrong with it. Um, so it backfires. So she, he kind of – he seems to be like, well, you know, it will get better. Who cares? And she's like, oh, he seems to be – I think she's thinking, oh, he seems to be kind of discounting his feelings. He's going back to this avoidant place. 
and she says, oh, you know, this other doctor said you were depressed. Uh, there's a lot of other ways to get people to go back to their feelings. You know, one thing that I might have said in that instance, if I, if I intuited the same defense, well, first off in the first session, I don't know if I would try to provoke someone at all in that situation. But if I did, I might say something like, wow, it sounds like, you know, your life is really stressful. It makes sense that you would have panic attacks sometimes. I mean, it sounds like there's, there's a lot of stress. Uh, it's, I think, more likely that Tony Soprano could have agreed with that. Like, yeah, my life is stressful. You know, most people can. Um, rather than uh, saying, me and another clinician were talking about you, and he said you're depressed, and I, I think you're depressed too. You need to admit it. That's kind of one potential message she's giving to Tony Soprano, in my opinion. And Tony Soprano, uh, based on the way he reacts, uh, is not pleased. And a, a defense mechanism for Tony is to try to gain some sort of power over uh, the doctor. And so instead of responding to that, like, yeah, I guess I am depressed, he feels vulnerable and he's looking for some way to gain control. And so he looks and he sees her diploma, sees that her last name is Melfi, and tries to bring her down a notch and say, oh, what part of Italy are you from? And she says this part. And he says, oh, you know, I'm from, you know, my mom would really love it if you and I were together. He's trying to demote her a little bit. Again, it's not a horrible thing for a, a client to do. When clients do it with me, I actually kind of invite it on some level. If they feel the need to um, demote me or something, like why do I feel the need to promote myself? Um, if if they feel the need, then I'll allow them that corrective experience. Uh, so that's what we see in this moment. And I think it's, again, well-written and well-conceived by David Chase. Anxiety attacks are legitimate psychiatric emergencies. Suppose you were driving and you passed out. So what she decides to do is not respond, which is a, a very typical psychoanalytic. They never say it specifically, I don't think, in the show that she's, a, that she's trained as a psychoanalyst. But I think that's what they're getting at. And um, and I've heard other psychoanalysts refer to her as someone who is practicing psychoanalysis. So I'll, I'll just kind of go with that. It's common for uh, you know a particular strain of psychoanalysis to be this way. Is to be like, okay, you know, I saw just the defense. He's trying to demote me. I'm just not going to respond to it. It's a style thing, and if she sticks with it, I suppose it fits a particular mode of therapy that isn't too common these days. Um, and it's not a bad move. It's not, you know, she's sending a message of just like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to get into conversation about whether or not you and I would be a good match for marriage or something. Um, that's not really what we're here to do. I'm just going to ignore that statement and get back to, the, you know, what we were talking about before in terms of what you're here for, which is your panic. Um, I personally wouldn't be that um, dismissive of the client's statement there. I might, I might, I don't know, I might say something like, um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, and then what I would do, because I do this a lot, particularly in the first sessions with people, because I don't really know why they're here and what they want, is I might say, so, you know, we have about 30 minutes left. How would you like to spend the time? This is a, For you clinicians out there, this is a wonderful question to ask when you feel a little lost, because it's in the client's uh, hands. The client should be the one steering the car, not you. Uh, if the client isn't behind the driver's wheel, then you're just pulling them along. You want to put them in the seat. And if they don't want to get in the driver's seat, 
then again, you want to have a conversation as to whether or not therapy is really best for them. Uh, if they refuse to get into the driver's seat, you know, if Tony, if I said that, you know, so, you know, okay, I get it. You know, you and I uh, might have been a good match, uh, according to your mom. Makes sense. Uh, you know, your mom would love you to marry an Italian person. But getting back to the the goal here of panic attack, do you, we have about thirty minutes left? Do you want to talk more about that, or is there something else you want to talk about? You know, it's up to you. Um, it it gives this message that's very clear of just like you're in the driver's seat and you tell me what we sh- what we do in this session. Again, certain strains of psychoanalysis they don't do this, and. It's sort of an old school way of thinking about therapy where the doctor is on high looking down at the hapless patient and tinkering with things so that their unconscious can you know, emerge and uh, understanding or uh, healing occurs because of that. Um, I believe in about like 10 or 15 percent of the psychoanalysis model, psychoanalytic model. Um, my first Theory is psychodynamic object relations uh, and relational psychoanalysis, uh, but this this old school way of operating it, it doesn't uh, coincide with the way I see people and doesn't really coincide with the way I like to be as a therapist. But anyway, so so she brings it back. She just ignores it. She brings it back to the panic, and um, she's explained that. So let me rewind it back to what she was saying. Anxiety attacks are legitimate psychiatric emergencies. Suppose you were driving and you passed out. Let me tell you something. Nowadays, everybody's got to go to shrinks and counselors and go on Sally Jesse Ruffy. So this is a, you know, uh, I don't think this is a style problem with Melfi. I think this is a problem. She's in a power struggle with him at this point. She's trying to make him talk about his problems. She's trying to make him agree that he has a problem that he needs her for. And this is very self-serving, right? As a therapist to be like, you have a problem, you need to admit it, and I'm the one to solve that problem. Uh, it's a what I would consider to be a legitimate bad move. And I think Melfi is, consider, is having some counter-transference about this, which we'll get into in other sessions because she actually talks about it with her own therapist, Elliot. But I think she has counter-transference of – and it's very common for therapists to feel this way, particularly with a client like this, if they don't watch, if they're not trained to manage their own counter-transference is you have a client who comes in and they're, short, they, they're pretty ambivalent about being in therapy. <clears throat> and they also seem to uh, deal with the power differential by um, trying to demote the therapist through – uh, insidious means the way that he was doing with, you know, you and I should get married essentially. Um, for th- It's normal for therapists to have a counter-transferential reaction of feeling worthless and incompetent. Um, therapy is a very amorphous thing and when we're doing well, it's hard to know and when we're doing poorly, it's also hard to know. So there's a lot of it has to do with our own confidence and our own self-esteem. And if we don't have a a good sense of ourself and a good solid foundation to fall back on. And I think Melfi doesn't given her, how her character develops throughout the seasons. Uh, it's very it's very easy for us as therapists to fall back on our heels and be like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible therapist. I'm a fraud. I'm ashamed. And if you're not really aware of what's happening, you can have a lot of different reactions, one of which is you can start attacking your clients and insulting them as a way of trying to assert your power. And so that's what Melfi does in this moment, in my opinion, based on what I'm seeing here, is she's trying to establish, look, you're the patient, you have a problem, you have panic disorder, and you're kind of fucked up, and you need to admit that because 
and and I'm the expert. I'm the doctor here. You're the patient. I'm telling you something's wrong. And that's kind of what she's doing there. So let's let's rewind again and watch it um, again and then see how he reacts. And again, one could say that she's doing some kind of gestalt thing where she's trying to provoke him for assessment purposes or she's trying to make him more honest about how he really feels, which I could get behind um, if, if that was her thing, thing. But I don't think that's what she's trying to do. I think she's I think she feels insecure and she's trying to um, she's trying to fight with him. She's in a power struggle because right now they're in this power struggle where Melfi's like, you have a problem. You need to admit it and you need my help. And Tony Soprano is having a hard time uh, admitting that or getting on board with that train of thought, which, you know, a lot of people have a hard time. So let's rewind. Anxiety attacks are legitimate psychiatric emergencies. Suppose you were driving and you passed out. Let me tell you something. Nowadays, everybody's got to go to shrinks and counselors and go on Sally, Jesse, Raphael and talk about their problems. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type? That was an American. He wasn't in touch with his feelings. He just did what he had to do. See, see what they didn't know was once they got Gary Cooper in touch with his feelings, that they wouldn't be able to shut him up. And then it's dysfunction this and dysfunction that and dysfunction my fungal. You have strong feelings about this. Let me tell you something. I had a semester and a half of college. So again, you know, her, I think she's on her heels and I think she feels like she's losing control or she doesn't really know what she's doing in this moment. And it's a, it's a very dismissive, uh, somewhat common thing for therapists to do when they're in that state is to rely on certain phrases that therapists have learned and to use them passive aggressively, which I would, in my opinion, this is what she's doing. I will say if some of you people out there are like, ah, I don't think this guy is receiving it right. I totally get it. I, I'm watching this thing through my lenses um, and, uh, you know, it's, I'm, the, I'm the beholder, but I'll call it like I see it. Um, and you certainly can disagree with me. But anyway, um, so she says, oh, you certainly have some strong feelings about this. So there's a message there of like, I don't like your feelings about this and I'm la- I'm afraid and I'm unsure about what's happening I'm, and I'm going to kind of demean you by saying, oh, you're having feelings right now. And that's a passive aggression. Um, a, a more therapeutic style might have involved something like, um, oh, OK, yeah, tell me more, you know. Uh, you seem to have strong feelings about that. I want to hear more. Tell me more about Gary Cooper and kind of your aspirations in life. You know, I'm I'm here to listen to that. I might even agree with it. I might be like, yeah. I mean, there was a time when uh, our society upheld that notion. You know, by all means. You know, uh, I agree. You know, um, now inside, I'd be thinking things like, well, you know, men in the past were suffering even more because they were forced to not express themselves even more so in the past and had a lot more psychiatric issues and relationship problems and drug addiction problems and parenting issues. And for our society to loosen up and allow men to have emotions is actually a good thing. That's what I'd be thinking, but I wouldn't get into that yet. This is the very beginning of the first session and, you know, he's clearly trying to tell me something and I'm going to let that affect me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to hear him. I, I'm going to validate that because, you know, it doesn't come from a, the, the, the premise 
I don't agree with, but the energy I can get behind of him like basically what Tony Soprano is saying in this moment is I'm suffering. I don't like the fact that I'm suffering and I don't want to be suffering anymore. Maybe if I was like Gary Cooper, I wouldn't suffer anymore. That's basically what he's saying. That's the gist of what he's trying to say here. Um, I don't, and I can, you know, get behind that energy for sure. And I don't have to say things like, "Oh, you're having strong feelings about that." So let's rewind back to when she says that. And then it's dysfunction this, and dysfunction that, and dysfunction my fungal. You have strong feelings about this. Let me tell you something. I had a semester and a half of college, so I understand Freud. I understand therapy as a concept, but in my world, it does not go down. Could I be happier? Yeah, yeah. Who couldn't? Do you feel depressed? Do you feel depressed? Okay, the first way she asked that question was just completely dismissive of everything he just said, which is a common theme of Melfi's choices is she frequently just completely discounts – like he he gets worked up about something and then she just changes the subject, which is like not what therapy should be like. Imagine that as a client. You're like talking about something and then your client or your therapist just asks this random question. It has nothing to do with – I mean even when friends do that, that's annoying, let alone a therapist, right? So are you depressed? Like what? But then the second way she asked it, I actually can get behind because she gives it a little bit more empathy. Are you depressed? You know, she's giving this uh, uh, vibe that she cares. You know, are you depressed? I'm interested. You know, so the first way she asked was, I thought aggressive, passive aggressive in a certain way, and discounting at least. And then, but the second way she asked had some empathy in it. Let's listen to that again. Do you feel depressed? Do you feel depressed? Since the ducks left, I guess. The ducks that preceded your losing consciousness. Let's talk about them. So interesting. Uh, so Melfi finally asks something in a in a caring way. It actually works because it helps him to go deeper and be like, "Yeah, I mean, since the ducks left," and he gets to that to that emotion. You can see in James Gandolfini's uh, superb acting performance of just like that feeling of like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm sad about that." But that's very threatening to his character and so he gets up and walks out and then uh, – and Melfi goes like what the hell just happened? Um, So uh, uh, yeah. Um, Now what I'd be thinking about this session if if I had a client do that would be like, okay, I guess this client doesn't want therapy. That was weird. (laughs) Like they came in to talk about things naturally – they would assume we might talk about their emotions. You know, most people, most lay people, at least understand that part. As soon as we got to emotion, without without any you know explanation, he just stormed out of my office. Um, I actually, as a therapist, might not allow them to make a second session unless they really prove to me that they want to do work in therapy. Um, 
not again because I'm trying to be punitive, but because I just don't want to waste their time. Um, I've been there, done that. 25 years as a therapist, early in my career, like I said, I had sessions where um, I didn't know I could actually draw a boundary for their sake on some level and would suffer through weeks and weeks of sessions where I was just like – I felt like it was my responsibility to convince the client to do work and stuff. And I'm I'm just way beyond that. So um, so anyway, that that's just something I would think of. OK. So I reviewed the very first session of the first episode of the first season of The Sopranos and I want to do this again. Um, I hope that I am following fair use laws. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I think I am. I've watched other YouTube videos where they do this exact same thing, and I, I think I'm. I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm. I've I've done all the research. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. But I want to experiment. I'm going to post this and see what YouTube does. But um, I want to actually make this into a series. I, I think it'd be kind of cool to do every single session, which would be a lot of episodes. But um, I think it, w- it would be kind of cool. I apologize to people if I talked too much. I have a lot to say. I'm, I'm very nerdy about what it is like to be a therapist. I, you know, this is what I do for a living. It's also what I train and have been training therapists to do for 20 years. So I, I have a lot of opinions about what is good therapy and the different styles of therapy and, and what that uh, you know means in terms of helpfulness to clients. So let me know if you want me to do more of these. Uh, you can comment below. If you want to contact me directly, go to our website, psychologyinseattle.com. Uh, use the Contact Us page. That's, that's the way I – if you want to message me directly, go there. If you just want to comment for other people to see, go for it. But I, I, won't, I won't likely see it. So go to psychologyinseattle.com. Click on the Contact Us page and you can contact me directly through there. All right. Please take care of yourself. And take care of other people and do good therapy if you're a clinician because you deserve it. We all deserve it. Um, So, yeah, do that.